amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An Internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from a mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show. Thank you for tuning in and listening in uh, on our radio show. Um, I've, I've been trying to get this guy on my show for a long, long time. He is an amazing, amazing man, uh, a, a, just a beautiful spirit, beautiful soul. He wrote a book called Baderfield, uh, how, my, uh, how My Family Survived Suicide. His name is Carl David, uh, and this is a story about... Uh, many things. It's about dealing with suicide, overcoming suicide, the love of a father and a son, the love of a brother to a brother, and all of the intricacies in between uh, a family who is dealing with suicide and sudden death and loss. Uh, welcome, Mike. Welcome, Carl David. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Steve. How are you? Thank you for having me today. Oh, I'm honored to have you. Um, what a story! What an amazing life you have had, uh, not uh, uh, notwithstanding uh, the pain and tragedy. But it's 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 been a be- it was a beautiful relationship you had uh, with your father growing up. You you and your brother Bruce. I did. I was very fortunate to uh, have grown up in a very tight knit family, and uh, you know a lot of people don't have that. So I was blessed from the get-go, even with all our tragedy and loss. Uh, I'm so grateful for where I was, where I am, and hopefully where I will be. Now, your father was a, a, a pretty much a renowned uh, art dealer and had a gallery. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Uh, he was an art dealer from day one, from the time he was 15 years old, and uh, established what we now have as our fourth-generation fine art gallery business in Philadelphia, the David David Gallery. He was my mentor and my hero and my my life guide, if you will, um, even though he got cut short, passing away at the age of 58. Was that in 19... Uh, what, what, what year was that that he passed? Because he passed eight years after your brother committed suicide, is that right? Yes, my brother took the life in 1965. My dad passed away in 1973. Uh, August 1st, uh, uh, four, 4 o'clock in the morning, to be exact. Oh, and... and um... Were were you present when your father passed? 
No, he was on a business trip in Europe, and I got a phone call from my mother, who had gotten a phone call from my grandmother, who got the initial call from the colleague my dad was staying with in London. It was 6 o'clock in the morning over there, and he just was walking up the steps after breakfast and just had a massive heart attack and just collapsed. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's devastating. How, how old were you? I was 23. You were 23. And yes. And uh, so uh, this is interesting because your brother, Bruce, committed suicide when he was 22. Correct. That's correct. Uh, and that was eight years earlier. Um, and and so how, what, what age did that make you? Uh, I was 16 when my brother took his life. Yeah, yeah. So so let's go back to to some of the earlier years. Now, your father was in an Aztec uh, a plane because he Betafield was a, a, a airstrip. It was a, yeah. And, uh, uh, my father loved the, the, the pl- he had his own plane. He loved to fly you guys around, and and and, and you guys really connected uh, as a result of that. We did. We bonded in the air as well as on the ground. And I was flying from the time I was six years old. Of course, the first flight testified me because it was a new experience, and I always tell people that I think my fingernail. Marsh was still on the under underside of the seat. <laughs> but I grew up as a veteran flyer, and uh, my dad and I just had that you know that great experience together. When you're up in the sky and there's nothing else in the world except the two of you and the universe, you know, and it was just really yeah. a very precious time. Did your father ever, um, or did your family ever? Talk to you now. Is it just you and your? Was it just you and your brother? Do you have any sisters or other brothers? I I got another older brother. Um, Bruce was the middle brother. Okay, Bruce was your middle brother. Yes. Did, did, did your Did your parents ever talk to you about death and 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 you know what that looks like or, or you know because sometimes you know families are just in denial uh, as this as your family was especially with the suicide. We, ne- we never really talked about death before that. I mean, you know, growing up, we just kind of lived our life and, and looked forward and not forward far enough to, to see what the end might be or what the next phase might be. But, mm-hmm. you know, after after Bruce took his life, it turned our world upside down, and death was obviously prevalent and it was a shock to us. I mean, we'd seen death before my grandfather had passed away in sure. the 70, but, you know, that's, that's a grandfather oh, and it's yeah, a little bit different than a brother. Yeah. What, so, what's the reason behind the death of your brother Bruce? Was he depressed, uh, or, or was he suffering from 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 any type of uh, uh, issues in, in in family in his life? To this day, it's still a mystery. There were no overt signs. None of the typical things that you see when someone's about to commit suicide, where they're giving away their possessions, or they're dropping out of society, or they're talking about killing themselves, or they're upset by something. Uh, whatever he held inside, whatever those demons were, we never knew. I, I know that his army unit was about to be shipped off to Vietnam, but we're not sure that was it either. Um, and he was just a baby, just 22 years old. Yeah, yeah. He was, and he was a vital spirit. I mean, he just he, he lived life voraciously, and and you know, with the fast cars and girls and the Marlboro pack of cigarettes rolled up his sleeve. You know, the prototypical. Um, Wonder kid. I mean, he was he was amazing. He he was the kind of person that would hold anything in confidence for you and be there for you no matter what. Wow. What did you say, what did you guys grow up in? I'm sorry. What did we grow up? Yeah. What what, what town did you grow up in? I know. Oh, we're in we're in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Actually, we're actually in the city of Philadelphia. 
Um, so we kind of grew up in Philadelphia, and, and Bader Field, which was in Atlantic City, was a short hop from Philadelphia. So okay. my father being a pilot, it was easy to get back and forth. Nice, nice. So what was your relationship like with your brother? We were very close. We we used to hang out together at, you know, Air Force bases and watch watch planes taking off and coming back in and shoot pool together and work on cars together. Of course, he could take them apart and put them back together. Then I'd have a few extra parts playing on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you know, it was the kind of thing we did. We did everything together. I mean, he just—he uh, was my mentor, you know, and, and my best friend growing up. So, what happened? Um, how did you find out about his how, uh, about your brother's uh, Bruce death? He didn't come home the night prior. It was—I um, think it was a Tuesday night—and he was a student at Temple Night School. But he hadn't come home, and, and there was a, an air of malaise in the house the next morning. And I didn't want to go to school. And my parents said, no, you go to school. You know, everything will be okay. And I knew that something wasn't right. I just had a gut feeling. I just didn't know what it was. So I went to school, and I'm in the auditorium and um, at the morning assembly, and the principal gets on the horn and, and calls my name and says, please come up to the podium. So I did, and he said, you have to go home. if you're an emergency. And I, I, my mind started to go crazy. I had no idea. I figured maybe Bruce was in a car accident. Something happened. And I, I had driven to school that day. Um, and I got into the car, and I was home about three minutes. It's normally a 10-minute run, but I was racing, and I hit the front door. My brother opened, my older, oldest brother, Alan, opened the door and said, Bruce is dead. And, you know, and then he said, he hung himself in the gallery, and I almost blacked out. It's, it's still one of those things. Um, sorry. No, no. It never leaves you. Yeah. It, you know, it becomes part of who you are. And yeah. it, whether it's, you know, 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever, it's like it was yesterday when you start to think about it and the feelings are always there because I think time is a man-made construct that just, everything is now. You know, whether it's past, present, or future, it's just there's one timeline and those things become imbued in, in your soul. So that was, that was the shock of my life. Um, my mom had just come out of the hospital after having a hysterectomy. She was upstairs. Um, one of the best friends was consoling her, and my dad was one of found them in the gallery. How did you? How, how did your family deal with this suicide and deal with his death? I mean, there's so many levels of grieving, um, and and so many unanswered questions uh, as to why there really there's never closure in that type of death. No, the, the first stage is shock, and then it goes into grief, and then it goes to anger, and we surrounded ourselves with each other and with our friends, and, and you know, at some point it was really uh, necessary to get professional intervention because suicide is something that is insurmountable to deal with on your own. It's just too big. It's a beast. It, it'll, it'll kill you. It'll eat you up from the inside. Mm. And we all had our ways of put away, um, until we got therapy, you know, I, I went, eventually I went into a psychoanalysis, which basically saved my life. I was really coming undone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was it affecting you in your, in, in your life and school and, 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 and so on? Well, I went back to school. I was in high school in my senior year. I went back to school a couple of weeks afterward and I felt very self-conscious because I felt the eyes looking at me as I walked down the hall. 
And whether this was real or perceived imagination didn't matter when, you know, thoughts were there. Like, hey, that's a kid. His brother just killed himself, you know. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's tough to deal with because it's like walking around with a, um, a sign on your back, you know, sure. and not a good sign. Suicide was something that was really looked away from mm-hmm. in those mm-hmm. days. It had, had its own look about it, you know. And, yeah, it's a repugnant act. It's ugly. And, and, and nobody wants to be associated with it, you know, and for sure not people in the family. So um, I went back to school, and then I went to Temple University for two years. I got thrown out because I really didn't care. Um, I really lost my initiative and, and my incentive to do anything to be successful or whatever. I was just kind of floating through life. Mm-hmm. And when I got reinstated, my father pulled me out, and I got I, I got to school at Oglethorpe University, which is a small college in Atlanta, and I knew myself, and I did. I mean, I was on the Spanish Honor Society Dean's List, and I really put myself together. But all the while, kept this vision of my brother being on a, a special ops mission in Vietnam, and that's where he was. So I didn't have to deal with it. But mm. you can only do that but so long, and then the emotions which run the physical body come back and slam you. Mm-hmm. So that's it. I, all, I started to come apart. I mean, I was living on, on uh, low-dose tranquilizers because I kept leaving my body, and, and I, I was a mess. You know? mm. And uh, that's when I got professional help. My parents saw and they knew. Um, you decided to put this in a book, um, and, and you say that you did it because you wanted to have, for, for your future children to know about both of those great men, your, your brother and your father. Uh, I believe you did it to save, also to help save your life and, and heal your heart because it's a very cathartic process to do. You're right, and it, it was very cathartic. It was difficult, but it was cathartic at the same time. And um, I, I I did this because I wanted to preserve the legacy of, of both my heroes, my brother and my father, mm. whom my kids would never know. But at the same time, I had to put this into print. It was kind of my way of, I don't know, you know, sharing my experiences and, and also to let people know that we do get through it that it's a difficult journey, but we do get through it. And also to help reach out to maybe I saved some kids' life who's thinking about it who happens to read my book or listen to one of my interviews. And I just, I had to do it right. It was cathartic. It was painful. And the first time I wrote the book, my wife said to me, I'm not getting it. You're intellectualizing. And if I don't get it, your readers aren't going to get it. If it's too difficult, don't do it. Just put it away, you know, and you've done enough. And I said, no, I can't do that. I start this is really an important venture for me. So I went back and dug in and let my feelings through and, you know, with, with, through the web pages and whatnot, um, I was able to put this thing together and make it come to life. When uh, when did you decide to do it? How old is the book now? The book actually came out at the end of 08. It took me a long time to get a publisher. And the reason I discovered later was because it was two-dimensional. Um, I, I found a publisher, I didn't get press, who, who I got to through an agent in Las Vegas. And she said to me, yeah, we want to publish it. We just want you to do one thing. We want you to rewrite it movie style. And all I heard was movie. And I said, great, because I knew someday I wanted a movie adapted from the book. And mm-hmm. I said, wait a minute, what's movie style? And she said, we want dialogue. We want you to show it, not tell it. So mm-hmm. they gave me, me an editor who showed me how to do it, not tell it. And in six weeks, I rewrote the whole thing inclusive of dialogue and the characters came to life. And I really, I knew what had been missing before. So now... And, you know, when people are reading this, they're like, God, you really have exposed so much of your family and 
or I wish I'd known them, or I think I know too much, or I wish I was part of your family, but they got it. You know, the, the communication was there now. Mm, amazing. What was the catalyst that made you just say, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to start writing this book? Because, I mean, you could have just, uh, you know, uh, with, with the therapy and everything, you could have you, you had a family, moved on with your life, uh, continued the legacy uh, of your family. Uh, you could have just done that, but you decided not to. Well, I had written before. I wrote a book called Collecting and Care of Fine Art, which Crown published for me in 1981. Mm-hmm. It's actually coming out again with a new publisher, Skywars Publishing, in the spring uh, in New York, a revised, updated edition. But this thing was in me, and I really needed to, to let it out so that I could help other people. And, and as you said before, help myself, even though I had already been through the process of an analysis, mm-hmm. it gave me clarity and, and the ability to write this. Um, and I think it was really just important to me to produce this work, to memorialize my brother and my father so that everybody would know the greatness of these, these two guys. Whether they knew them or they didn't know them, they'd wind up knowing them. Mm-hmm. How old are your kids now? Right now, I've got one is 40 and one is 35. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but they're still always your kids. It just sounds like it. Yeah, I know they're always your babies. It just sounds like they're still young, you know, because of of of, of, the, of the dedication of this book. How did they? Uh, how did you introduce uh, uh, your your kids to uh, your brother and 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 your father? Well, my wife and I before you know before we even let my kids know about my brother. Um, they knew about my dad and how I lost my dad, but we didn't really talk about my brother and suicide until they were in an age where that we felt they were receptive, that it wouldn't scare them to death, so to speak, uh, and freak them out, but so that they would get a better understanding, almost as an insurance policy, that they would never do that because they see what the act of suicide leaves in the way of wrath or pain on a family. You know, and, and we had always told them, no matter what you do in your life, no matter how bad you is there something so awful? You can always come to us. We'll always be here for you. We will support you and do whatever it takes to get through it. So, you know, that was the first introduction to that. And, and after I written the book, I let them read it. And they were all quite proud and moved. And, you know, it's not a book that you can read without feeling the emotion. So mm-hmm. um, I gave them an understanding of who, who my brother and my father were. And that's exactly what I wanted. That's beautiful. Um Advice. I know you. It's it's one of those things. Unfortunately, when someone does call you for advice or need advice, it's it's at the worst time of their life. Um, what advice do you give someone who's thinking about suicide or a family member who is dealing with a suicide? For someone who's thinking about it, if reach out to them if I'm aware of it, and I tell people this, you know, because if they're in the same position that I would be in. Uh, and have that opportunity to, to reach out to someone, just not to be too cautious. You know, the worst you can do if you approach someone that you know, who's a family member or a friend or even a stranger, if you think they're going to jump off a bridge, they're going to, you know, do something to end their life. If you reach out to them, let them know they're not alone, that you're there for them, that there are other people there for them, there's a lot of help around these days, and that they're loved, you know, that they're, they're not so isolated that everything is an insurmountable challenge. There is always tomorrow, there's always another day, another way, and that life is precious, you know, it's a gift that we get, and you can't tell somebody they have no right to throw it away, but, you know, that's kind of the way I feel, that mm-hmm. we've been blessed with this with this gift of life, and 
it's really important to enjoy every minute of it. And, you know, we all go through tough times and, and dark times. And, um, I, you know, I understand where someone's at their age and they're, they're elderly and they're sick and they're dying and there's no help for them. You know, I get that. But people who are young, teenage kids and people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s even, uh, you got to fight. You know, you got to fight for life. It's not easy. It's full of challenges. And if you see somebody on that edge, reach out to them. You know, as I said before, the most you can be is something over Dallas, you might embarrass them. But you might save their life. You know, you never know. And that one smile in the right place, um, the one check, the one phone call, the one listening ear can save somebody's life. You just don't know. Mm, that's so, so true. Yeah. <clears throat> my, my minister uh, would say your life may be the only Bible that somebody else reads, so you never know. This is so true. So true, and yet for people who are going through it, um, it, it's important for them to know that it's it's a very painful, tough time, and it's a difficult journey, but we do survive, and we have to live on for those souls who passed on. I mean, they're with us in spirit. You know, I've been visits from both my father, and I, I know firmly that life doesn't end here. This is just, this is the physical training ground for the next levels. Mm, well, that right. sounds crazy, but it's not. I mean, I've seen mm. too many signs and had too many messages, so uh, it's just, you know, nobody wants to end, but it's not really going to be the end. You know, it's fascinating you say that because as I as I read your uh, work, as I read about you, and I hear your interviews and, and listen to you, you are, in my opinion, a mystic. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, I've had so many experiences. I don't know what your I don't know what your spiritual religious background is, but I mean, you're 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 pretty much a mystic. I mean, you you are a healer. Uh, you do healing work with your hands, uh, animal therapy. Uh, you're into so that's to me a mystic, and I, so I think you've risen above just a. Um, the 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 regular you know most known levels of of of, of prayer and, and and reaching out and helping people, but I think it, I think you're really a, a, a beautiful spiritual healer. No, oh, thank you, thank you. I'm uh, you know I was born Jewish and that's my culture, but I am spiritual and that that's my that's my direction. And I, I'm a vivid believer in prayer. The prayer works and, and visualization and karma you put out there comes back to you good, bad, or indifferent, and the universe is a big parabolic mirror, so we get reflected back wherever we put out, and, you know, I always feel like, be nice to somebody, it doesn't cost anything to be nice, but it sure does if you're not, you know, it might cost them something, it might cost you something, and, and I do do it with my hands, with animals, and I've got this affinity for animals that uh, I sometimes like animals much more than people. <laughs> I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Now you you also uh, uh, you're a pretty accomplished musician. You play piano and guitar, and you've written ballads. Is that right? That's true. Um, I had two rock groups when I was younger. Taught myself to play guitar after I'd taken piano lessons for years and quit. And um, you know, just do that stuff. They get bored and they have to try something different. But hey, I had two rock groups. We got a couple of records which never got published. But I went back to the keyboards about ten years ago and. Bought myself a keyboard because I felt this energy in my hands and needed to do something with it. And I was sitting here looking at this thing like, okay, now what? Because it's been so long, half of what I knew. <laughs> <laughs> but it all came back, you know. And, and then I bought a bigger keyboard because I ran out of keys. 61 keys wasn't enough. I had an 88 key, that weighted key uh, keyboard in my studio and, and with like 3,000 voices so I can, I can create pretty much whatever I want. And I, I've been writing balance. And, uh, 
it's it's therapeutic for me. It's fun, you know. It's creative, and, and I'm trying to get some of my music published as well. And uh, yeah, I'm going in a, a hundred different directions, but that's that's who I am. That's beautiful. Tell me about uh, the David uh, David Gallery. We are located in Philadelphia, just off of Rittenhouse Square, which is probably the best area in the city. And we specialize in American and European 18th, 19th, 20th century, I'm sorry, 17th, 1800s, 20th century, 21st century, original paintings, drawings, watercolors, and sculpture. You might find um, a, a Renoir in the gallery at any given time. You might find uh, something much more contemporary, something old master, and, and a lot of things that people would not know the names of, but the quality is consistent. And we, we pride ourselves on building collections for clients, in a, in a generational theme, I'm still dealing with the descendants of some of my father's and my grandfather's clients. So we work really hard for our reputation, which is paramount above anything else. And we make a living from it, you know, at most days. <laughs> um, it's it's a very interesting business. No two days are ever the same. We don't have any regular hours. I'm usually in the gallery by 7 in the morning or 7.30 and out of there by 6 and then out with clients or home working on the computer. It's, it's a real dedicated pursuit, and, and our, our excellence uh, is something we strive for. So we have fun with it. You know, it's you know, there's a new cities are the same. We had a lot of great people. I, I was dragged through the basement of the Louvre instead of playing baseball when I was a kid. So it's not, I can't explain it. That's awesome, man. That's not cool. too shabby. Are you? Yeah, not too shabby at all. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.